Well, good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village. If you're new with us, uh, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, sometimes when you open the Bible, whether you're new to the Bible or whether you've opened the Bible uh, a lot of times and for a long time, sometimes when you open the Bible, um, there are things in there that are very intuitive. We, 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 we understand it. We get it right from the get-go. So Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we can all say, like, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's sort of the golden rule. Like, that makes a lot of sense. We get it. It's very intuitive. Other times you open the Bible and you read something and maybe if you're like me, you like, it, it just seems a little counterintuitive. The Bible has actually lots of those things that are sort of upside down, but sometimes it's just something that's counterintuitive another way. And I think we found that a little bit last week and this week is connected to the things we talked about last week. If you're new with us, we're doing a series called Helpful Wisdom for Hard Days. And we're talking about helpful wisdom and suffering Helpful wisdom when we actually suffer, not just um, justly, but when we suffer unjustly. And, and so sometimes it's, it's intuitive. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes you open the Bible and you find something a little counterintuitive. Last week Peter told us that it is actually a rare thing. It would be a rare thing for Christians to suffer unjustly if they're acting like Christians in the midst of the culture that they are in. And that might have seemed a little counterintuitive. It was in the language that Peter was using, but in the back of your mind, you may have been thinking something like, yeah, well, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So what is Peter saying? Is Peter contradicting Jesus? What is he, what is he after? What is he getting at? And I think that Peter is just stating the obvious. I think that's as simple as it is. Peter is stating the obvious. He's saying, for some Christians, there will be just a little bit of suffering in their life, suffering that's unjust, being suffering for doing what is right. Some Christians will have very, very little of that in their lifetime, and a lot of that has to do with where they live and the community they live in and, and the country they live in or the, the demographics or the politics or, or the government. Or There's all kinds of factors. Some Christians will have very little of that, and some Christians will have a lot of it. And that has something to do with the culture that they live in and the place and the time and the government and the beliefs and the worldviews and religious practices and all kinds of things. And some Christians will just fall somewhere on that spectrum in between. But in any of these cases, and in all of these cases, Peter's saying, although it is a rare thing that Christians would suffer unjustly if they're living like Christians, if they're living like good citizens... If they're living like good workers, you do your job and you do it well and joyfully. If you're living as good neighbors and you're serving your neighbor and you are loving your neighbor as yourself, Peter says, although it's a rare thing, he's saying it is a real thing. This is real. And it was real for his audience. This is real. There will be Christians who will suffer. And some of them over here a lot because of their faith in Jesus. It's going to happen sooner or later to some of us. And once it starts, it's kind of hard to stop. It's sort of like a chronic pain. I don't know if you've ever had chronic pain. There was a season in my life where I had chronic back pain. And I, I have a lot of sympathy for people that live with chronic pain. It's, it's horrible. It doesn't go away. And actually when chronic pain takes root, it lasts a long time. And it, much, much of the time it gets worse before it ever gets better. And this is sort of like that. When, you, when you're a Christian and you begin suffering unjustly, it's kind of like chronic pain. It's going to stick around for a while. 
So the question is, how can Christians persevere when they suffer unjustly under ungodly people and ungodly governments and ungodly systems and structures? How can Christians persevere when they suffer unjustly, when it sets in and it's going to be a while? Well, I think Peter tells us, and it starts in verse 1 where he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Wisdom says to think like Jesus, to persevere like Jesus in the midst of unjust suffering. Peter says, think like Jesus, think rightly about this. And the question is, well, how does Jesus think about this? How does Jesus think about unjust suffering? And the good news is, Peter's actually already told us. Back in chapter 2, he says, for to you, for to this you've been called, rather, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When, is he, when he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How did Jesus think about suffering unjustly? Jesus' mind was centered on loving God, hating sin, and trusting God to judge justly those who were treating him unjustly. Loving God, hating sin, and trusting God to judge those, deal with those who were treating him unjustly. Jesus loved the Father so much that he lived a perfectly sinless life. That's what the Bible teaches if you're not yet a Christian. That's one of the incredible things that we believe about Jesus. He lived a sinless life on our behalf. Jesus also hated sin so much that he lived a perfectly sinless life, never giving himself over to sin, even when, if anyone would have been justified to, to, re, to return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. It would have been Jesus. He suffered the most unjust treatment of anyone in the history of the world because he was the perfectly just one. He was the perfectly sinless one. And he treated him with so much contempt. I think this is amazing. <laughs> that when he reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he uttered no threats. I think this is amazing because when we're suffering, it can be so easy to slide in to sin. And this is a pretty intuitive way of thinking that when someone treats us one way, we treat them the same way. When someone persecutes us, we return the favor to them. When someone slanders us, we slander them. When someone treats us unjustly, we treat them unjustly or find some other way to sort of get at them. That is human nature. That, that's intuitive. That makes sense to people in general, to humanity that makes sense. We do it to each other all the time in ways small and in ways great. It's pretty intuitive. When we are reviled, we often revile in return. But I think a bit more counterintuitive way of thinking about this. What do Christians do when they are under unjust suffering? What do Christians do when they are treated wrongly for doing what's right? The intuitive thing is to think that we strike back, eye for an eye sort of thing. The counterintuitive way of thinking is that we slide into sin, not by returning evil for evil, but by staying silent about sin. Perhaps condoning sin or tolerating sin or worse yet, joining people in their sin. 
so that we avoid the persecution, so that we avoid the ridicule, so that we avoid the slander, so that we avoid the suffering that comes along with living righteously, not self-righteously, but to the best of our ability and by the grace of God, living righteously in this world. It's the young person who, um, who joins the partying, right, after they've been made fun of enough times. They just acquiesce and they join in to avoid being made fun of at school the next day. It's the man who joins the banter about a woman or women to avoid his friends thinking he's just self-righteous and he's too good and getting ridiculed by people that are so-called friends. I think it looks like a, potentially a, a woman who gets caught up in a bunch of gossip after perhaps having one too many drinks at the girls' night out because the last girl that acted in a righteous way, she wasn't invited again. She's no longer part of the group. She sits lonely most weekends. I think it can look like the mature Christian who stays silent about things in our culture that are clearly sinful. And I just want to say, probably demonic. I mean, the things that are happening in our culture today, and this sermon is not about that, but there will be sermons about that in the fall. They are sinful, clearly sinful, and potentially demonic. We just stay silent about them to avoid the slander that comes along with that, the reviling that comes along with it when we speak out publicly about things that God says are just flat out sinful and wrong and unhealthy for us and destructive to people that he's created in his image and likeness. I think that when we are treated unjustly because we are Christians, because we want to obey and follow Jesus in any area of life, in any realm of life, the temptation be, can be to, to give up. This is too hard. And to give in. And for many Christians today, many professing Christians today, to give themselves over to the ways of the world to avoid suffering. And I just want to pause and I want to say, Jesus never did this. He thought rightly about this. Jesus never did this. Jesus did not give himself over to the ways of the world to avoid suffering. Jesus gave himself over to the way of the Father to avoid sinning. Did you hear that? Jesus did not give himself over to the ways of the world so that he could avoid suffering. He gave himself over to the ways of the Father to avoid sinning. And that's because this is the reality. Please hear me. Suffering is not the most important thing in life to avoid. Sinning is. I think too many professing Christians act like suffering is the thing to be avoided most in life. And that's not what the Bible says. Sinning is the thing to be avoided most in life. And the reason is because it destroys our lives. And it separates us from God. And it ruins our relationship with other people. And it destroys systems and structures and governments. Sin does more damage to our lives than suffering unjustly ever could. And as I say that, I think to myself... <laughs> The Lord reminds me even in this moment, Matt, you have to believe that to say that. I mean, <laughs> sin does more damage to our lives than suffering unjustly ever could. We have to believe that as Christians. This is what the Bible teaches us. Sin ruins our lives, and it ruins the lives of other people, and it ruins our relationship with God. And if we're going to persevere like Jesus, because we do what is right, 
We need to think like Jesus about sin. We need to hate sin so we don't slide into sin. And Peter continues to say it this way. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This word cease from sin literally means to break from sin, to break free from sin. And to persevere when we are suffering unjustly, what we'll have to do is break from sin, not give in to sin to just avoid the suffering, not, not give in to sin to avoid the ridicule or the canceling. We're supposed to hate sin and break from sin and actually die to our sin. And this is what Paul said to the Roman church. The Roman church was at the center of all of this, at the center, the epicenter of of this culture that was persecuting the people that Peter's writing to. And Paul says it this way, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Praise God. And the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. To persevere through unjust suffering and to not give in to sin, just to avoid the suffering and the persecution, the ridicule, the slander, we're going to have to die to sin and live to righteousness. We're going to have to die to sin and, and live for God. And Peter tells us there's no good reason why we shouldn't be willing to do that. If we are Christians, there's no good reason why we shouldn't be willing to do that. And he even points backwards and he says in verse 3, For the time is past is sufficient. For the time past suffices, rather, for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. <laughs> what Peter's saying is there's no good reason why you wouldn't want to live for righteousness. He says, matter of fact, you've had enough time to live like that. The time in the past suffices. And maybe for you, you're thinking, yeah, like I lived a lot of my life living that way. Time is up. There's no more time for that. You had enough time for that. You had enough time to live in sin and be attached to sin and live for the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin couldn't be pleasurable in the moment. Or to join others in their sin. We've had enough time to join others in their sin. You've had enough time for that, Peter says. What Peter's saying is there is no more time for this. And if you read that list, you might be thinking, <laughs> Matt, I've never had time for orgies and drunken parties. Right? I've, I've never done that. I just kind of don't want to do that, you know? Like, this is a crazy list. Sensualities, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. Literally, parties where you show up with the only point is to drink. And lawless idolatry. <laughs> like, doing things against governments and their systems based on your idolatrous behavior. And this is, a, this is kind of a crazy list. And you might be thinking, like, this Roman stuff is nuts. Like, I don't live that way. I've never lived this way. And I don't want to. And I say, well, I think we've all lived our lives in sensuality in some way, probably. Worldly passions, check. Drunkenness, many of many people in this room have experienced that. And the list gets kind of dicey after that. Some people have been there. I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't want to live like that. 
you know, a while back, I don't know how many years, it was a lot of years now. I think my years are kind of going more quickly, it seems like that. Um, this guy named Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. You remember that? Yeah. There's chapters on stuff like anger and self-righteousness and discontentment and unthank- unthankfulness. There's a chapter on pride, one on selfishness. There's one on lack of self-control. There's one on impatience, irritability, (laughs) jealousy, envy. I could go on. There's lots of chapters because there are a lot of respectable sins. There are a lot of quote-unquote respectable sins that we just glance over. What Peter's saying is there's no more time for that either. There's no more time for that either. And when you decide that there's no more time for that, when you make a decision, there's no more time for that. There's no more time for me to be silent about sin. There's no more time for me to condone it or to tolerate it. There's no more time for me to join other people in sinful behavior just because I don't want the ridicule that comes along with the times that I don't. When you're ready to make that decision, don't expect the people around you to understand and to be like, that is so great. Good for you. Peter says, with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the flood of debauchery. That was a pretty debaucherous list, by the way. And they malign you. Listen, if you're a new Christian, you probably get this. If you've been a Christian a long time, maybe this is a little harder for you to relate to. One side note is that there must have been a lot of new Christians in the church that Peter was writing to. Because he's like, look, don't be surprised now if this happens. <laughs> if you're a new Christian, you understand this. You've made decisions. And if you're a longtime Christian, you might understand that, you might remember the time you made that decision that I'm no longer living my life that way. The Bible says to live as, you know, to, that we're a new creation in Christ. All, all, the old things have gone, all things have become new. I'm living a new life now because Jesus is my Savior, my Lord. I'm giving my life to Him. I don't live for that stuff anymore. I'm living this way. And Maybe a couple of your friends did, they're like, oh, good for you, I'm glad that works for you. But a lot of your friends were like, yeah, what are you talking about? What are you, like, self-righteous now? Like, you're, you're the good one? And they malign you. If you're a new Christian, even if you're a long-time Christian, you think like Jesus, and you act like Jesus in this regard, not perfectly, but you know what I mean. At the end of the day, they're going to end up treating you like Jesus. And this is where most of that unjust suffering comes, I think, that what Peter's referring to. When we don't give ourselves over to the darkness and the debauchery, that was a pretty dark and debaucherous list. Your, lights become, your lives become lights in darkness, and the light exposes the darkness. And as John tells us, when that happens, like, people don't really like that. And so most of it will come as slander. It says, and they malign you. Seeing your silent non-participation as implied condemnation. Did you hear that? Seeing your silent non-participation as implied condemnation. I was raising my two daughters when <clears throat> the same-sex marriage act was passed. And, um, and when they lit up the White House with all the colors, you know. And, um, and this was when social media was like, you know, well, it is, right? But it was kind of like gaining legs, gaining legs, gaining legs, gaining legs. And I remember having to talk with my daughters about it. And we talked it through. And it was like, 
Well, obviously I'm not posting something like, yeah, I'm, you know, like I love that because God does not love that. The Bible's not for it. And we're not for it as Christians because it's not the way God intended life to be. It's not the way God intended marriage to be. But the only decision was not to post something on social media, right? Um, the other decision was to post something kind of against it. We just decided just don't post anything right now, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, like the heat that, that, that my daughters took for simply not saying something was unbelievable. I could not believe it. Non-participation, silent non-participation is, is implied condemnation. People are not going to like this. You glad you came? Glad you came to Sunday? Listen, it's decision time for all of us. That's what Peter's saying. For every single one of us as Christians, there's a decision to be made. Right here, I'm, I'm just saying like right now, there's a decision to be made. Are we going to be quiet about sin? Are we going to condone it? Are we going to tolerate it? Are we going to join people in it? Or are we not going to do Are we going to think like Jesus about being treated unjustly so we can persevere like Jesus in this thing? If you're a Christian, you have to make a decision about that. If you're not yet a Christian, you're going to have to make a decision about that. As, as Christians, we believe some incredible things about Jesus because the Bible reveals incredible things about Jesus. That he lived a life we could never live, a sinless life, never having sinned. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> Our lives are full of sin. Maybe there's some sin that you want out of your life and you can't get rid of it. Like, none of us can. We're sinners by nature and choice, the Bible says. And so Jesus lived the life that we could never live, a sinless life on our behalf. He died on the cross in our place for our sins, for all of the crazy sins that we've committed, even the ones on that debaucherous list and worse. We can be forgiven when we believe that Jesus' sacrifice forgives our sins. God's judgment on all of our sin was put on Jesus on the cross. And when we believe that he rose from death to prove all of those things and to give us a life that's forgiven and free that we could never have otherwise, we place our faith and hope in him as the son of God who's come to save us from our sin, that we can, we can be free. But we have to make a decision, right, that we're not going to live this way. Repentance is included. And that we're going to live this way now. And if you're not yet a Christian, I just want to tell you that Christians continue to do this sort of thing. Not because we don't believe we're saved from our sin or forgiven for our sin, but we can fall into temptation. We can fall into sin. And, and we too as Christians have to say, I'm making a decision today. I'm done with that. And that's what Peter's saying to us in this passage. Like, time's up. It's over. You've got to be done with that. If you want to persevere to the end, Jesus says, him who endures to the end will be saved. If you, <laughs> if you want to persevere to the end, it has to be a decision. I'm done with it. And for some of you... For someone in this room, I, I'm, I guarantee you this morning, you just have to make that decision. I'm over it. I, I'm, I'm done with that. And if that's you, please talk to your community group leader or one of your pastors, your friend that you came with, someone you trust. Wisdom says to think like Jesus is to persevere like Jesus. But wisdom also says this, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 5. But they will give an account to him the ones that malign you, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Wisdom says to trust Jesus, to persevere like Jesus in the midst of unjust suffering. See, when we're treated unjustly, the first reaction could be to return the injustice or to do everything we can to make sure those people get their justice. <laughs> but Peter's telling us to simply trust Jesus and that he is Keyword ready. He is ready to judge. 
Peter didn't have to include that word. He could have just said he is the judge. Peter said he is ready to judge this. Peter goes on to say, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. There were apparently pagan, pagan people in Peter's day who were persecuting Christians unrighteously, slandering Christians for living rightly. And those people apparently became Christians. And apparently they then died. Now as Christians, in part we have to believe, because of the preaching of the gospel, of course, and the witness of the Christians that they had slandered, the witness of the Christians that they had maligned, the witness of the Christians who had suffered unjustly at their hands. And the same is happening today. And even though Jesus is ready to judge them, listen to me, Jesus is also ready to show mercy to them. He is loving and he is just. He is ready to show, he's ready to judge them and he's ready to show mercy to some of them. That they too would become Christians by hearing the preaching of his gospel and seeing the outworking of the gospel lived out in lives of people like me and you. And this is apparently what was happening in Peter's day, and it's still happening in ours. Wisdom says to think like Jesus, to persevere like Jesus. Wisdom says to trust Jesus, to persevere like Jesus. And wisdom says something else. In verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Wisdom says to expect Jesus, to persevere like Jesus in the midst of unjust suffering. Expect Jesus. If you want to persevere in the midst of unjust suffering for doing what is right, Peter's saying, live in a way that's expectant of Jesus. It says the all, end of all things is at hand. Creation has already happened. The fall has already happened. Redemption has already happened. Like it's all set. The next step is the consummation when Jesus returns and everything's set. Like Jesus could return any day. And what Peter's saying, live every day as if it was that day. We should be living lives that are dead to sin and alive to God every day knowing that that day, that day is coming. If we don't live expecting Jesus this way, we'll be more likely to compromise. And again, to give up and to give in and to give ourselves over to the ways of the world just to avoid the unjust treatment and suffering. And Jesus warned his disciples about this. Matthew chapter 24. But concerning that day, an hour no one knows. That return, that consummation. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the, only the Father knows. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came, swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be grinding at a mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house, to be, let his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master will set over his household to give to them their food at proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over many possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed 
and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come one day when he does not expect him and at the hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Peter was there when Jesus gave this teaching. Peter knows what expectant living looks like and so he tells us. He says, therefore be self-controlled and be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter says, you want to live expectantly? Like living every day, like today could be the day that Jesus is coming. Expectant living, Peter says, is prayerful living. Prayer is one of the most important things we do as Christians. We read the Bible, we pray, and we're in fellowship with other people. If you're going to get three things, get those things. And prayer is at the center of that. It's so important that this is the third time that Peter actually tells us that there are consequences for not living our lives in ways that, well, that are conducive to prayer. It's so important, he says. In verse 7 of chapter 3, he starts closest to home. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of grace, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Apparently, there is a way that a husband can treat his wife to where his prayers are hindered because of it. He's not treating her in a just way. And God's like, yeah, you fix that first before you talk to me. Then he moves to life and culture at large. In chapter 3 he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's a contrast here. When we're living righteous life, Lord's ears are open to our prayers. We're giving ourselves the evil. There's something between us and him. And he's like, hey, let's fix that. Like, I know there's a lot of things you need you want to ask me for, but <laughs> what about that, that thing? Let's, let's talk about the evil. Let's talk about the sin that you're holding on to. Like, let's talk about that first. And now he says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Listen to me. When you are suffering unjustly, when anyone in this room comes into this church and they're suffering unjustly, they are going to need a lot of prayer. You, when you suffer unjustly, are going to need a lot of prayer. You're going to need to pray a lot for yourself and for other people. And so we should be living in a way that we're confident that, like, we're in a good space with God. And his ears are attentive to our cry. There's nothing blocking that. We're going to need that kind of prayer. Listen, this summer we're going to do a series on the prayers of the Bible. We're going we're to grow together as a church in this thing, this life of prayer. Expectant looking, living looks like something else. He says in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Expectant living is loving living. Again, when the world sins against us and we're under the pressure of the persecution, that pressure can like, get so much and it just explodes out to the people that are closest to us, sometimes other Christians. And we can act in very unloving ways to one another when people are treating us in very unloving ways. And that is not the way of Jesus. Last week we asked the question, what is the most loving thing I can do in this situation? Listen, when we are suffering unjustly, and if there's a season in our culture when Christians begin to suffer more unjustly, when we all come together and we're gathered either in this place or in this form or another, like we're going to need to love one another well. You're going to need a lot of love when you have a lot of persecution. (laughs) He says it looks like something else. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Expectant living is hospitable living. Like there will be times when things are so hard out there that you're just like, I don't really want to open a home for community group tonight. I'm just over it. It's so, ugh, the pressure, you know. Or there might be days when you've invited people over for a meal or for dinner from church and you're just like, I just, uh, 
there's so much pressure and like all these stuff I'm dealing with and I just, I don't, and so you create an excuse that's not a good one. You're like, yeah, we'll do it some other time. And or there'll be an entire season where you just feel like, man, I'm so under it with this kind of unjust suffering at work or in this friend group or in these relationships. I just feel like the culture at large is just pressing in on me. And I'm just like, I don't have anything to give. I just feel like, ah, I have nothing to give out. And so I'm just going to like, I'm not going to invite anyone over. I got nothing to give them. And I just want to say, please resist this way of thinking. Like when we are suffering unjustly, like we're going to need one another. And we're going to need to open our homes to one another. Even when, like, we feel like we don't have time to give. But, like, whatever we have, we're going to give it out. And matter of fact, please just come and just, like, like, could you just listen for a few minutes? You know, can I just share with you <laughs> what's going on? And we're going to need more hospitality, not less. Expecting living like something else. He says, as each has received a gift, verse 10, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. His expectant living is servant living. It's servant living. It's prayerful, it's loving, it's hospitable, and it's a life that has a servant orientation. When we're suffering unjustly, listen, we're going to need one another. And we're going to need to serve one another, especially in the life of the church. And if there's a time or a season that's coming of unjust suffering, if Christians begin suffering more for doing what is right in our culture, more of us are going to come to church wanting to be served rather than to serve. And that's intuitive. That makes sense. That we're going to have to, we're going to want to come here as like a safe haven. Like a safe haven from the suffering. But just because church is a safe haven from the suffering doesn't mean it's a safe haven from serving. Like we all need to serve one another. And maybe there's some of you who have come to this church in a season and we've just told you like, please don't serve. Just please sit and rest. You've got to know the heart of your pastors for you in that. Is that we just, we understand there are some seasons where like just, just come and receive and just come and be. And we'll hit you up when we sense that's, that's different for you. But just come and be. But like, we could all enter in a season when, like, we're going to need to be served by one another and come not just to get served, or, but, but to serve one another. We're going to need to all be involved. And Peter says there's a couple of different categories of that service. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks orals of God, whoever serves as the one who serves with the strength that God supplies. Like there are going to be some, some gifts in that service that are kind of more outward facing and it's more about what you say, preaching, teaching, encouragement, leadership, those sorts of things. And there will be other sorts of things that are kind of more behind the scenes, service, helps, hospitality, mercy. But we're going to need all of that. And I got I to tell you, just to be really honest with you, like we need some of that now. Like, we need some of that right now. Like, our kids' ministry needs you right now. Maybe, maybe some of you received an email from me. Because <laughs> I was like, hey, listen, like, you're on our partner list, but you're not currently on a serve team. And maybe you haven't been for some time. And, like, again, I totally get it. And we get it as pastors. There are seasons it's like, it's too hard. But it's like, this church needs you right now. Like, we need to serve one another better right now. There's ways that we can do this. You can go on our website and you can go to the resources page and right on the resources page is the serve team. And there's this gigantic button that you can click that says join a serve team. Like you can't miss it, right? Even if you're really bad with the mouse, like you're going to find that thing, right? 
And it's going to get you to a list of all the ways that you could serve in the life of the church, whether it's that sort of speaking and out front kind of more like, or whether it's kind of behind the scenes. And there, there are some things that are like on Sunday morning. There are some things that are like between Sundays and you're free Sunday morning. Like there are a lot of opportunities. And I'm just saying like as humbly as I can, like this church needs you right now. Okay? All right. You're like, well, why are you, why are you so worked up about this? Why is that so important? Like, <laughs> well... We'll finish it up with verse 11 where he says, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Wisdom says to glorify Jesus if you're going to persevere like Jesus in the midst of unjust suffering. At the end of the day, there's only one thing to keep in mind to keep us persevering in seasons of unjust suffering. There's only one thing to keep in mind at the end of the day, and that is bringing glory to Jesus. And the question will be, does this bring glory to him? Does this thought, does this action, does this decision, like does this bring glory to him? And that's literally the reason why our mission statement at church says, the village church exists too. The first thing it says, literally the first thing it says, to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus, declaring the good news about Jesus, displaying the life of Jesus because every village needs Jesus. The very first thing. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> nothing else really matters. And matter of fact, everything else follows that. Will the way I respond to unjust suffering bring glory to Jesus? Will the way I respond to this situation glorify Jesus? That's the, that's the question. I think there's a lot of good news for us in all of this. I know, I know decision time's a hard time. I know it's hard to hear some of these truths, but there's, there's so much good news that's wrapped up in this for us, and I hope you heard some of it this morning. There's a really great life that Jesus has for us when, when we live connected to him and persevering in a relationship with him and one another, even in the midst of times and seasons filled with unjust suffering. I think this is the good news this morning, is that Jesus brought glory to God by persevering for our salvation, and we can bring glory to God by persevering in our suffering. Jesus brought glory to God in persevering through our, for our salvation. And, and now we can bring glory to God by persevering even in the midst of our suffering. And I'm, Bill Church, this is a good church. It's filled with great godly people. And I believe that will be true of this church in the days ahead. Will you pray with me? Jesus, this morning, we say thank you. Thank you for persevering for us. Thank you for loving the Father so much and hating sin so much and trusting the Father so perfectly that, that you would find yourself and set your face like flint and go to Jerusalem and that you would, you would pray in the garden of Gethsemane and you would sweat great drops of blood and yet you would continue on that you would go to the cross, that you would take all of our sin and all of the times that we've given ourselves over to sin, you took the just punishment for our sin upon yourself and you handed us, gifted us your righteousness and you empowered us by your spirit. These things are possible for us. We pray you would empower us. The spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in us. And I pray you'd give us life by your spirit, persevering kind of life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.